Hi there, it's Adam Leventhal. Welcome to the Athletics Premier League Countdown podcast. With the return of the 2019-20 season only days away, we're releasing 20 podcasts on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That is two podcasts a day, every day, up until football returns. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the season makes its return. Now, in this episode, we are discussing Crystal Palace, who sit 11th in the Premier League table, and we can welcome the Athletics' Dom Fifield to discuss everything about the Eagles. Dom, great to have you with us. Just remind us how they were doing just before lockdown started, because it was a key run of victories, wasn't it? Absolutely, particularly given the daunting nature of their running uh, and the fact they just only won once in 11 league games prior to the end of February, really. Um, but then those three successive 1-0 wins over Newcastle, Brighton and Watford really gave, injected some much-needed momentum back into Palace's campaign and have taken them clear of, of trouble when you look at the table going into the lockdown. I mean, 39 points was the highest I think they've ever had after 29 games in, in the Premier League. Um, it gave a, a, a real sense of security and, and they were able to sort of survey the scene yeah, from relative safety um, throughout the lockdown period, that uh, they will want to, yeah, to to claim as as many points as possible to get that record points tally from uh, from from the campaign when when games resume. Uh, their best ever is forty nine points at the moment, and they've got a good chance of that. Albeit, as I say, their running is particularly difficult. Yeah, I'm just having a look at, look down now. And if they hadn't have beaten Newcastle, Brighton and Watford by those one goal to nil victories, you would make them, well, very, very likely to go down if they'd, if they'd not picked up any of those points, wouldn't you? Uh, absolutely. When you, when you see the, <laughs> the, the reality, they've got Liverpool, Leicester, Chelsea, Manchester United, Wolves and Tottenham still to play. Um, Aston Villa and Burnley, the other two fixtures, sorry, and Bournemouth as well. So you you know, Bournemouth and Villa have got their own reasons to to be scrapping, so they'll be difficult games in their own right. And 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 it's a it is a daunting run. It, let's be honest. And it, under Hodgson in the last few seasons, Palace have have secured safety and then almost let the, the shackles loose for the last few games. And they've played a far more expansive brand of football once once clear of the bottom three. Um, and the hope was that they would be able to do that again this season, having you know they, they've done the the hard grind to to, to get themselves clear of trouble. Uh, I just wonder whether the the daunting nature of those matches and the fact they're all against teams you know competing for Europe or scrapping to stay in the division might make it a bit harder this year to to, to let the shackles off. Uh, but then then again, Palace's players. A lot of them, like the Wilfred Zahas, even the, the Jordan Ayes, will want to express themselves going into the last few matches of the season. It could be quite a could be quite an exciting run of games. Yeah, and I remember being at that final game of last season, that five three victory against Bournemouth, when the shackles were were certainly off. It was a ridiculous uh, spectacle, but it was very very entertaining. Do you think that that's a sort of a a deep rooted frustration of Crystal Palace fans that it, it can't be more like that, or do they think well? better the devil you know and, and Roy Hodgson gets his teams organised. There have been times this season where 
the football has been very, very pragmatic, and Palace haven't been prolific. They've, they've, I think they've only beaten one team by, by two goals this this season. Two teams, sorry, Burnley and and, and Norwich. But it, it it is about survival every every season. I mean that that is the primary objective to to con- allow the club to continue to develop. They have to stay in the division. So if a level of pragmatism to the style of play gets you that. Um, and certainly gets you at six, seven weeks before the end of the season, which appeared to be the case this time round, then I think that was something to be welcomed. And, and I think the majority of supporters appreciated that. Yeah, they, we'd love to see more goals flying in at, at, in the right end at, at Sellers Park. And and the, the club will definitely be on the lookout for attacking recruits in the summer. But but they've actually they're, they're, there are subplots to this, and there are lots of good little stories within the, the Palace setup. Not least, if you look at Jordan Ayew scoring eight goals in, in in this season, for considering he cost two million pounds from Swansea City, seems fairly remarkable. Um, there's plenty to admire about the defensive nous of the team. I mean, Vicente Guaita has been absolutely outstanding in goal. Gary Cahill slipped in at at centre half without any any sort of period of adjustment at all and, and gone back to the form that he was displaying at Chelsea a couple of seasons back. There's a lot to admire about the about the setup, the industrious nature of their midfield from Jimmy MacArthur to Chick Kuate. And if you if you add to that an element of flair when they're firing from from Wilfred Zaha, from Andros Townsend, Jeffrey Schlupp even, then I don't think the football is actually that bad to watch it's it can be frustrating when the when the chances aren't converted and you know I think everybody at Palace would would wish Christian Benteke was was more prolific than he than he has been but even he has contributed this season it has been very much a campaign where a campaign where lots of lots of moving parts and lots of lots of industrious work from the team has got them into this position where they're they look pretty much safe uh, going into into the lockdown period and I think I think most supporters would be grateful for that and would see that as progress. How would you describe that the connection between Roy Hodgson and his players? Because you know, obviously, he's the the oldest uh, head coach or manager in in the Premier League, but he seems to have got a tune out of a team that you know when things haven't necessarily been going well, they they have responded. And I've always been fascinated how that that sort of connection works. How do you understand it? Well, I think there's plenty to admire in the way that Roy Hodgson communicates with his players, players that, you know, you'd imagine have very different interests in life off the pitch to, to Roy Hodgson. Uh, we did an interview with, with Roy earlier this season. It feels like an age ago, but it's it's still relevant now. He he does, players tap into his 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 philosophy and his his mentality and he has a means of getting across his ideas to them so that you know Wilfred Zaha Aaron Wambasaka beforehand you know kids out of the the Palace Academy even Brandon Pierrick this season Tarek Mitchell that, that they they understand what he wants and 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 buy into that and yes that, that there are there are certain players in that setup that you think are just made for a Roy Hodgson team um, and I'm thinking of the again the industrious, pragmatic nature of the likes of James MacArthur in, in, and James McCarthy in midfield, for example. But but the whole group seems to buy into what he wants, and and that has been his skill really over the years. His longevity is down to this ability to 
maybe to adapt his communication, maybe the, adapt the methods he has of getting his ideas across on the training pitch and keeping training sessions, which are essentially, when you break them down, quite monotonous. But he, he keeps them interesting. And, and he's out there every day now um, with Ray Lewington still, you know, driving on these sessions. And that is a measure of the enthusiasm of the man. But also, I think, I think the players buy into that and, and, and that explains why he has been so successful at, at clubs of this level in particular over a, a long period of, of a 40-year coaching career. And obviously Roy Hodgson having Wilfred Sahar in his team helps. Uh, this final run-in now, is this going to be another long goodbye and is this actually going to end in a goodbye? And do you think that the current financial climate will make it uh, almost impossible for Crystal Palace to to not cash in? To be honest, I don't think things will have changed too much in terms of Palace's outlook towards Wilfred Zaha. Um, to them, he still remains a, a, the principal asset in, in the setup. He's still got uh, three more years of contract, um, goes to 2023. So his valuation won't have come down in that respect. Um, to them, he is worth whatever it, whatever staying in the division is worth. So eighty to million, eighty to one hundred million pounds, and I don't see why that would change in in the short, even shorter transfer window that we're likely to get in August, beginning of September. Not least because Palace will do well to get any kind of replacement um, in. The, the no, no club is really going to be offering £80 million pounds plus up front, which was, is the type of fee that Palace would be willing to, to look at or consider. So although Zaha's ambition to win trophies and to play in, the, in Europe and the Champions League, all, all those things are the same as they were the last, last summer and the summer before that and even the summer before that, but the situation simply hasn't changed as far as Crystal Palace are concerned. He he is their principal asset. He is a mainstay of the team. He is the player around whom they build their whole approach. Take him out and Palace have really got to go into the market and buy four or five different types of players to, to make the collective stronger. And given the you know, the shorter nature nature of the transfer window this summer, I'd be very surprised if they were willing to do that. Just going back to, to Roy Hodgson for a moment, and I suppose um, his future is is a little bit more sort of nailed on than, than Wilfred Zaha. We know that he's got one year left, so he's got next season. Do we expect for Roy next season to be his final season at Palace and in management? <laughs> I sort of feel as if I've been, we've been contemplating the end of Roy Hodgson for a, quite a few summers and... His his enthusiasm never seems to diminish either. Um, I, I, the one year contract extension was both a, a reward for what he everything he's achieved at Palace and and the stability that he's brought to the team and the club, particularly at a time when the club is is pursuing other ventures off the pitch, i.e. the development of the tra- the training ground, the academy the academy training ground, and potentially the the development of the stadium as well. So they had to stay in the division for that. So to have a manager that virtually guarantees you survival every season was a huge asset and, and therefore completely logical that he would extend for another year. Um, it also buys them a bit of time to think about what happens next because there will be a point, and even Roy would admit this, where he has to consider life after football management. 
I'm not sure he's there that yet, though. I mean, when there was a bit of uncertainty about his future next season at Palace, the, the sort of the, the the whisperings from his camp were that if if he did end up leaving Palace in the summer of 2020, he would probably be pursuing other options elsewhere. I.e., his managerial career was not over, and he would he would try and find something else to do, uh, another club, another another project, another exciting opportunity, and. To me, if he's got that about him, then I'd rather he was at Palace than anywhere else. To be honest, I think he, I think he offers them so much, so much now. So, in, in, to to the extent that actually, I'd, it would be almost a source of reassurance if if they found a role for him beyond his managerial career, beyond his time in the dugout. If the, if there was some role at Palace that he could help to to guide whoever follows him, then I think a lot of people at the club, supporters would 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 welcome that. He has been fantastic for Crystal Palace since he came in in the in that difficult period in 2017, um, and so much that he will leave a legacy. I mean, he he will leave leave a legacy of stability, which Palace haven't really had um, in their recent history. Yeah, he's he's a safe pair of hands, which is uh, something that. Steve Parrish knows all about. It is a very, very difficult thing to to find, especially with his experience with um, with Frank de Boer, which didn't last very long and was potentially very embarrassing for for Steve Parrish. But he's now celebrated what ten years as as owner of the club, and things seem to be going from from strength to strength. What what are the the long term plans for for Crystal Palace? The development of the academy is is key. I think uh, Palace want to be progressing their own talent from from youth team into the first team for economic reasons more than anything else I mean it's a lot cheaper to promote from within than to buy from outside um, and f- for all that they have been some obviously fantastic jaw-dropping talents that have come through not least Wilfred Zaha uh, and Wan-Bissaka um, I think that that route hasn't always been quite as uh, bountiful as it might have been in the past so that they need they need to to get back up to category one status that work is underway the uh, they, they've bought a site across the road from the main senior training ground in Beckenham and the builders are in the building work is in the previous goals it was uh, has, has been demolished and they're, they're, they're building the, the training pitches and getting it all installed um, and that will be a major major boost to the club they need to start work at some stage on the redevelopment of the main stand at Selhurst Park to to offer almost a, a visible, um, a, a visible sign of progress uh, and a legacy for this le- the lengthiest period in the top flight that the club has ever enjoyed. They'll be going into an eighth season or being well uh, as a Premier League team. But there are issues there still on in terms of buying houses that are currently on the site and negotiating with the supermarket that owns. The, the car park at Sellers Park, so that is ongoing. Um, but but look, Steve Parish, David Blitzer, um, and Josh Harris have got ambitious plans for Palace. Um, that they 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 want to keep progressing. They want to feel established in the Premier League. And I think the last couple of years, the team has felt more that way. It's felt more geared towards towards mid-table Premier League safety. Now the next thing they need to do is regenerate the team reinvigorate the team it's the oldest i think in in the premier league pretty much at the moment certainly the oldest that palace have ever had in there so they need young players coming in uh, nathan ferguson looks as if he's on his way from from west bromwich albion which will be a start to that process um but it's 
they have to they have to achieve that whilst maintaining stability within the first team. So it's it's it's, good, it's a delicate balancing act, and but one that Roy Hodgson I think will embrace, and will con- allow Palace to continue to to push potentially for European qualification. I mean that that has to be that has to be the aim for a club of their size and in terms of their development. And if they if they could achieve at some point in the next few years a, a, a Europa League place. Or something along those lines, maybe win silverware possibly. Then, then that would be huge, huge testament to the, the progress they've made as a club since they were bought out of administration back in 2010. And do you think, just finally, that that could happen this season, especially with you know no crowds in grounds and Crystal Palace, you know, safe and maybe being able to, as we were talking about before, just play with a little bit more freedom. They're only four points behind Wolves. Is it a possibility that they could be the, the sort of the random factor in the in the top half and maybe Europe might come this season? I don't think anybody really knows how teams are going to cope with the whole no fans in stadia situation. And there, there are obviously going to be some very strange results. And Palace may look at the games that they've got and think they might stand more chance against that calibre of team that they have to confront um, over their over their run in, in which case they you know they have a chance, but I think I think realistically speaking, given the difficulty of those games, and also given maybe how Palace play against the better teams, where they they maybe still ship a bit too much of the possession, and we've seen a lot of the the ball staying in play an awful lot in in the Bundesliga um, in in games behind closed doors, and I, I just wonder how an aging team copes with that if they're chasing the ball for for near you know 80, 80 minutes as opposed to 60 minutes in you know when the ball's being hoofed out of play and stuck in the crowd etc I think that that will pose its own problems for Palace but my word it's 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 nice to be going into this awkward run-in from a position of relative safety and you know that will allow them to yeah, maybe be slightly more carefree in in, in their approach. Get maybe if they, if they can get some early points on the board just to f- force them up into the forties, um, then maybe we can see them attacking those those last few fixtures with a with a real verve. And and, and you know you never know what will happen then. The positive way of looking at it is that they play all the teams around them in terms of European chasing. If they beat them all, they'll qualify for Europe. If they, if they don't, then maybe settling into mid table isn't so bad either. And what a story that would be. Dom, thank you very much indeed. It's been fascinating to get your insight on Crystal Palace. Uh, If you're not already subscribing to The Athletic, make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy all of the writing on Crystal Palace plus much, much more. Uh, You can currently take advantage of that 30-day free trial if you want to try it out before committing to a full subscription. And with that, you'll enjoy all the best football writing as the Premier League returns. Now, keep an eye on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts, each one dedicated to a different team. We will see you for the next one. 